and thank you, hallelujah, praise God. So a very brief recap uh, about the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we see that uh, the Sermon on the Mount is basically divided into, into two portions, you know, the first part being the, the attributes of a believer, who we are in Christ, and the second part which we've been looking at is the actions of a believer. And the theme for the entire chapter uh, is about uh, our motives, our innermost motives uh, for doing things. And um, it, it, it covers the areas of uh, arms and prayer and fasting and getting riches. Uh, our relationship to our Heavenly Father through all these things uh, as a result of uh, We did look at, uh, and began to say that there were three kinds of giving. Um, that there was the tithe, which is sacred to the Lord. And then we looked at the, the special offerings, which were um, over and above the tithe. And they might be given for building projects or, you know, the building of an orphanage or feeding programs or some particular ministry that you wish to support. And then there was almsgiving, which came up in, in Matthew chapter 6. And really that was the, the, the giving of charity, how we can look at that. Uh, then we looked at uh, the, the whole position of the disciples' prayer. Um, and while the emphasis was on, on private, secret prayer between you and the Father, we also saw that um, it was permissible to, to pray publicly and to, and to seek God and to pray out loud. And uh, then we came down and we looked at the Lord's prayer with a special emphasis on forgiveness. And um, we saw that how in... Uh, four verses, six times the subject of forgiveness came up in just four verses. And so it was, it's a really important thing for me to know how to pray properly. This morning, we're going to look at the subject of, of fasting. We're just going to touch on this, not even get uh, study. But I want to say to you that most people don't know how to fast. In fact, the, the, the greater body of Christ does not know how to fast. And uh, we're going to be looking through it by, by the end of today. I believe that we will have a deeper understanding of what a biblical fast is. But fasting is one of those spiritual disciplines uh, that, that the church really needs to master. Uh, sadly, it's not very high on the agenda of some Christians or some churches. Um, and because it's not the most popular subject, amen? So I'm sorry to bring, bring a, not, a not so popular topic, but it's the word. And we love the word, amen? We love the word and we, we want to be taught by the word and, and we preach the whole counsel of God, not just our favorite parts. Um, and so we, we're going to look at different ways to fast and get quite clearly in, in the scripture. There's a right way to fast and a wrong way to fast. And I'm sad to say that I think a large part of the, the, the body of Christ fasts the wrong way. And when we, when we get to the end of, of the teaching today, I think you'll be able to see exactly why I made that statement. But it's an important spiritual discipline that we must master. Okay. There's a right way and a wrong way to fast. And the, the, the wrong way is what Jesus was talking about. These guys were, were fasting and they were, they were um, drawing attention to themselves by saying, ah, by these agonizing faces. And they, they kind of say, what's wrong? Oh, I'm fasting for the Lord. I'm suffering. And they were receiving all the glory of men. And it was, Jesus said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. That's not how to do it. And so uh, he said, when you fast, you're going to fast in secret. You're going to fast in private. And that really is the, is the issue. That's the right way. But during the teaching this morning, there are a couple of um, 
things that I, I would like to clear up before we get to the end of our fasting. Um, you know, one of the this thing is that uh, Jesus just spoke about, what is the one indictment that's leveled against the church and Christians alike? There's one indictment in particular that every one of us have been accused of. You're a bunch of? You know it as well. So, you know, this is the thing that, that, uh, that the world sees. He says that we are a bunch of fakes, you know. Uh, we are hypocrites. In other words, our words don't match our actions. <coughs> Excuse me. I love the way that DC Talk uh, actually words this. It's, it's quite uh, insightful for, a, for a, a band. They said, to quote, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christianity. Those who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then they walk out the door and they deny him by their lifestyle. Whoa. That's when an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. <coughs> Excuse me, I've got a tick on my throat this morning. I have, thank you. Praise God. In other words, what they're saying is this, that if our claims were true, we'd be living different lifestyles. Wow, that's, that's a heck of an indictment to make against, against believers and against the church. And you know, the Bible actually uh, says something very similar. In Titus chapter 1 and verses 16, we see uh, quite a scathing indictment um, that Titus makes. And um, he says this, unto the pure, all things are pure. But to them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Even their mind and their conscience uh, is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. And being abominable, disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. That word reprobate is the, is the Greek word adokimos. And adokimos is actually means worthless, rejected, or unapproved. Sorry, my throat's really bad to that. So the Bible calls these unapproved Christians reprobates, degenerate sinners. You know, they are the very definition of hypocrites. They are wolves and sheep clothing. They are false converts, hypocrites. You know that the parables are really about true and false converts. If you look at the parables that Jesus taught, it, taught, it really speaks about how to be saved. You know, the, the, the good fish and the bad fish, those that, that are saved and those that are unsaved. It's all, excuse me, about uh, this uh, true conversion and false conversion. And there are many that are in the church today, universally, that think they're going to heaven. But they, but they are not because they, they are not true converts. So uh, it's really very interesting. You know, why? Because they're leading a double life. And, uh, you know, it, it's really very difficult because they, they, at church they raise their hands and they, they're wonderful. They, you know, they, they know all the songs. They know all the Christianese. But when they leave here, how many know that church doesn't end when you walk out those doors? That's just the beginning of the week we're supposed to take God with us. But when these guys, these reprobate guys, these Adachimos kind of Christians go out the door, they forget what the Lord's all about, and they're leading double lives. 
and they, they, they are, are being hypocritical. You know, they're leading lives of abominations. You know, they claim to know Christ, but behind closed doors, their life is an abomination. They're leading a double life. Behind closed doors, there's rottenness in every foul, corrupt act that's going on. And yet you see them in church on Sunday. Oh, Lord, we need you to minister and speak unto our hearts. The Bible says, woe unto the scribes and the Pharisees, hypocrites. That word, woe, is the Greek word, ooi. Nice word, ooi. <laughs> and it actually means great trouble or sorrow and distress. So think about this. He says, woe, great trouble, sorrow and distress to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You know, there's going to come a time when God is going to judge us and minister to us. Can you say amen? amen. So we, we could spiritualize that and say, woe to those who think they are spiritual but are leading double lives. Jesus spoke about these guys. He said, you, you're like whitewashed sepulchers, beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones and rotting and putrid flesh. That's really what's going on. And that's more dominant than, than your beautiful outsides. And so we, we need to be very careful. Christians need to do a better job of uh, representing Christ to the world. Can you say amen? amen? And that responsibility, folks, rests upon you and I. Yes. You know, because we've got to try and change the perception uh, of the world. And so we need to be very careful that the world has no grounds to accuse us of being hypocritical. So we need to love the Lord and serve him. And that's costly. That's not easy. That's, uh, that's difficult. But uh, Jesus warns uh, against those who are living hypocritical lives, those who pretend to be spiritual on Sunday and are living for the devil the rest of the week. You know, sometimes our failures may be caused by our immaturity in, in serving the Lord. And, and we've all got to grow, and that's okay, you know. But sometimes the, the truth is uh, the way we represent Christ is, uh, is sad. It's, it's shocking. It's sometimes sloppy Christian living. Uh, have you ever seen a Christian who ought to know better and yet didn't? You know, that's sloppy Christian living. I was listening to a, a, some, some ministry on, on, on YouTube, and the guy was actually talking about um, that film, Sound of Freedom. And he was exhorting his listeners to pray and to seek God and, and you know, to really get, get serious with the Lord. And, and I'm thinking, man, I like this. And I was just about to give him a like when he dropped the most incredibly gross uh, expletive imaginable. And I thought, what? Yeah. I can't like this. I can't, I can't, get, I can't, I can't be a saint. <laughs> you know, it's one thing to make a mistake. But when you're out there on YouTube telling everybody, you know, to seek God and to, you know, to get your life right together, and then you drop that expletive, and then you leave it and you don't edit it out. You're making a video that's going to go around the world. I'm sitting here in New Zealand. This guy was in America, and this video has gone around the world. Oh, sorry. And he left that expletive room. I thought, oh, God, he's just undermined everything that he said. And that's what hypocrisy did. When the world sees something like that, they look at us Christians and they say, it can't be true. So it's fake. You know, if it was true, they wouldn't do such things. And so it's, it's upon you and I to actually um, to make sure that we are dealing with areas of hypocrisy 
in, in the how many are still a work in progress like me? I, I am. Amen. I cannot, God be gracious unto us, but let it, let's try our best not to be hypocritical. Matthew 6, 1 and verse 16 is where we, we're reading. Moreover, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites, okay? And of a sad countenance that they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thy head and wash thy face, that thou may appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy father, which is in secret, and thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. I want to draw your attention to that last phrase. He seeth in secret. In other words, God knows everything that's going on. You know, we might be able to fool our neighbors. You can certainly fool me as your pastor. Um, but nothing escapes God's attention. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So the psalmist began to understand this. And he began to understand how important it was and how God looks at it. And he says in Psalm 139, it says, Oh, Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know, when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Wow. God is familiar with all our ways. We don't get anything past the Lord. You know, it's, it's like uh, uh, I have a family that reminds me when, when, when I step out of line. They say, hey, practice what you preach. Oh, that's, that's, that's great. Thank God for that. But I try to do that. But uh, like the rest of us, uh, you know, I'm still a work in progress, and I, and I need to be reminded from time to time that that's, that's important. But God knows everything. Look at verse 4. It's Psalm 139, verse 4. Before a word is on my tongue, thou know it completely. Thou knows it completely. God knows everything we say even before we're going to say it. The Lord knows the good. The Lord knows the bad, and he will hold us accountable one day. I'm sorry to say that, but uh, it's the truth. It's the Bible, and that's what, we, that's what we're following here. Amen? Am I in a Baptist church this morning? <laughs> okay. So I, I want us to, to uh, that, that's one of the, the things that we have to contend with Christians, that they, they accuse us of being hypocrites. Um, there's another contradiction that, that arises in this particular uh, uh, passage of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's the, the next great attack that the world levels us. They say the Bible is full of contradictions. Amen. You've heard that. And, uh, you know, it, it's uh, they, they use this particular passage um, to actually point out some of the supposed contradictions. In Matthew 5, 16, it says, So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. And, and then a couple of verses later, in, in Matthew 6, uh, 16, uh, it says, or 6, 1, I should say, it says, Take care, do not do your good works uh, deeds in public. Okay, I thought I was supposed to let my lunch, my, my good work be, be given. And they think, oh, there's a contradiction in the Bible. You know, you, you guys, you're a bunch of hypocrites. Your Bible doesn't hold up under scrutiny. And, and so they go on. But, uh, you know, it's a, what is it, you know? But like all supposed contradictions in the Bible, just a little thought, just a little thought will expose that they're not contradictions at all. 
Look at Matthew 5, 16 and, 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 and 6, 1. If you look at them carefully, it says, So let your light shine before me that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So they're saying your good works are not to be done for self-aggrandizement or to promote self. Your good works should be done and to give the glory and the honor and the praise unto the Lord. Can you say amen? That's the context of, of, uh, of uh, Luke 5, uh, Matthew 5.16. In, in Matthew 6.1, it's, uh, it's talking about not losing your reward. And, and so it becomes quite evident that they're talking about two different things. It's about not losing your reward because you're trying to take all the praise and the glory. The, the, the first one in Matthew 5, 16, it's talking about that your works will glorify the Lord. So there's the tension. It's quite obvious when you read it in context and you read it fully, the, the apparent um, contradiction goes away. We believe in the premium verbal inspiration of the Lord, the infallible, inherent word of God. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. So plenary, uh, for those who don't know, means absolute, infallible, is never failing, and inherent without error or flaw. I believe the Bible is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so, you know, it's interesting, as we're dealing with the doctrine of inerrancy, um, it, it's it's important to understand that the doctrine of inerrancy doesn't co uh, cover every single copy of the scriptures that we have. Uh, the, the, the doctrine of inerrancy only refers to the original documents. And immediately people jump up and say, oh, but we haven't got the original documents, so your Bible's not inspired. Hold on a second. Just hold on there just a minute. You see, the truth is, because there are so many copies of the Bible, we can reconstruct the original. <laughs> and if you remember, uh, it wasn't so long ago that I did a complete teaching on, on the, the authenticity of the scriptures and how, how we actually do reconstruct the original and how we can look at that. So I'm not going to go into that many uh, detail today. But because there are so many copies of the scriptures, um, the, the, the number of copies actually helps uh, preserve and protect the original. Why? Because if I had the one and only copy, if I had the original and I had devious motives, how many know that I could change? I could make amendments to the one and only copy. I could change that and nobody would be any the wiser. But God in his wisdom has allowed the scriptures to multiply. It's one of the best documented documents in history. That's the Bible, one of the best documented uh, documents in history. And because, uh, because you have a copy, and 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 you have a copy. And if I change my copy, it's going to be very evident immediately that I'm a heretic, that I change my copy. Because my copy is different from everybody else's copy. And so that's how the multiplicity of, of, of the copies that we have actually preserves the original, because we can know exactly who is it. All we have to do is compare yours to mine, and we can see that I have changed mine. The apologist Dr. Turek says, there are apparent contradictions in the Bible. And yes, you know, Christians, we can, we can concede that there are apparent contradictions, but there are no absolute contradictions in Scripture. Amen? No, absolutely, absolutely no 
uh, actual contradictions in the scripture. When you look at them, they all become very self-evident. So, having said that, let's get back to the subject of fasting. Thank you. Sorry for my little rabbit trail, but I thought it was important. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Matthew 6.16. When you fast, be not as the hypocrites of sad countenance. They disfigure their faculty their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. Jesus assumes that his disciples, you and I, will fast. It's not a question of uh, if we are fast. It's a case of when we are fast. Okay? And so uh, Jesus actually tells us how to fast. The, the verses 17 and when you fast, put oil on your heads and wash your face. So that it will be not obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I like it. Don't you like the way God motivates? He always wants to bless his people. He's a good father who loves us and wants the very best for us. Can you say amen? Praise God. And so why do we fast? Let's look at the reasons why fasting should be adopted by the church, and then we'll see why the church has got it wrong. Fasting destroys the power of the flesh. The carnal appetites are put to death when we start to fast. When you fast, you're giving the devil and the kingdom of darkness notice that you're getting serious with God. Can you say amen? When you're fasting, your, your, your whole attitude is going to change. Your priorities are adjusted. Your motives are purified and goals are reached when you fast. Fasting is crucifying the flesh. You know what happens when we stop to, to fast? We're giving full reign to the power of the Holy Spirit to operate in our lives. We surrender and the Holy Spirit comes upon us and ministers to us. I don't know about you, but that fills my heart. I'm not going to preach at the Baptist Church today. You guys are... Encourage me, man. So, anyway... So let's, let's look at this whole thing. Why should we fast? Fasting destroys the power of the flesh. Uh, it gives full rise to the Spirit of God. Um, you want to draw close to God? Try fasting. There's something about fasting. When you start to, to feel hungry, that if you use that hunger to say, this is a reminder for me to draw close to the Lord, then uh, every time my stomach grumbles, I remember, yes, I need to pray. I need to seek God. And, and to have a, a good objective. So it, 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 uh, uh, our priorities are adjusted, our motives are purified, our goals are reached. Fasting uh, gives full reign to the Spirit of God in our lives. When we fast, we draw close to the rules. The doors of spiritual victory are opened. So many things happen when we fast. You know, the church and Antioch were fasting, and the Holy Spirit spoke and said, separate Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have uh, gone into in Acts 13. You can read about that. And so, do, do you need to fast to hear God speak? Absolutely not. Is it a thing that will make you more in tune with God? I believe it is. I believe it's one of those things that makes us sensitive to the Lord. When fasting sharpens our spirit, it makes us super sensitive to the Lord. You know what it does? It brings intimacy. It brings, uh, it deepens our relationship with the Lord. We say, Lord, we want you more than anything else. We want you 
more than daily food. Lord, you are important to us, and I'm willing to fast. I'm willing to forsake those things so that I can draw close to you. See, fasting opens the doors of heaven. Isn't that wonderful? Your voice may be heard on high when you fast. In other words, you get answers to prayer when you can't break through with your, just your prayer life, trying to fast Fasting brings breakthroughs. Remember, uh, the, the disciples uh, were, were praying for, for somebody in Mark chapter 9, and they, they couldn't cast out the evil spirit. Uh, Jesus came down from the mountain of transfiguration, and uh, they, they said, your disciples had prayed, and they tried to help, but there was nothing they could do. And so Jesus prays uh, for the, for the, the uh, demon-possessed boy, and immediately, immediately, he's healed. And the disciples are perplexed. And they, they come to Jesus afterwards and say, Lord, why couldn't we cast out uh, these spirits? And Jesus replies that this kind cometh not out by prayer and fasting. And so fasting gives us a great authority in the spiritual realm. It, it, it releases the power of God in our lives to do great things. So this is, I think, the most beneficial um, benefit of fasting. When you're feeling dry, your soul is empty, your spirit is withered. Ever been there? Oh, I hope not. But it seems oh, to me that every Christian at some point in their life ends up in this place where it's hard going. That's the time to fast and to pray. Start fasting and allow the hunger pains to, to uh, drive you into the presence of the Lord. Because nothing Absolutely nothing is more important than having God in our life. Nothing can take the place of God in our lives. Can you say amen? amen. And so when we fast and we try and draw near to the Lord, then, then he actually ministers to us and he revives the weary. He, he refreshes those that, that, are, that are downcast and he blesses each and every one of us. I want to ask you a question. Do you want to draw close to God? Oh, yes. How close do you want to be? Do you want to be like John and have your head upon the chest of Jesus and hear the heartbeat of God? Or do you want to be amongst the 12 or amongst the 120 or amongst the 500? How close do you want to be? I believe that God has placed no restriction upon any believer of coming right into the throne room of God, right at the feet of Jesus. We can come and, and bask in his presence. Can you say amen? So how close do we want to be to the Lord? You know, the psalmist, David, said in, in, in 63, in verse 1, he said, Oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for me. My soul followeth hard after thee. There was something in David that was driving him to pursue the Lord. He wasn't satisfied with the status quo. He wasn't satisfied with being empty and all the blessings that God had done. He wanted more of God. And he said, Lord, my soul followeth hard after you. I'm going to pursue you with everything I have, with every fiber of my being. Lord, I'm going to seek you. See, David understood the power of fasting. God's fast releases the anointing and strengthens our prayer. I've heard some people speak about uh, fasting as a prayer intensifier, um, something that will boost the power of our prayers. So fasting helps to pull down strongholds, break chains, and sets the captives free. Can you say amen? Fasting releases the power of God and turns defeat into triumph. That's what the fasting will do to you. You know, most of us have been around the Lord long enough to know that there are occasional times when the, our, our prayers have been prayed 
and we sought the Lord, and we haven't got the answers that we would fully expect. We wanted more. We've been, to be honest, sometimes disappointed with the answer to prayer. Ever, ever been there? Oh, yeah. That's reality, folks. That's, that's real Christianity. What do we do in times like that? When it's just fasting and we don't get all the things we want, that's the time to fast and pray. It becomes really important that we do that. <coughs> so, it's really important. Fasting brings down strongholds, it breaks bondages, it breaks addictions. Breaks addictions. You know, sometimes we're struggling. When I first got saved, I was like that guy on YouTube. I, I would swear and wouldn't even know that I had sworn until I saw the, the horrified look on, on, on everybody's face. <coughs> He was taking message. I wasn't ministering to the Lord at that stage in my life. I was I was a brand new believer. And I, I, I thought, well, I've got to try and stop this. And I couldn't. I couldn't stop swearing. It, it, kept, it, it came out of my mouth before it went into my brain. Does anybody know what I'm saying? Am I the worst heathen ever? No, no, no. no, no. Thank you. Goodness. No, no, no. Thanks, Andy. I'm so glad. Thank you, Hallelujah. But I would swear. And then there would be this absolutely horrified look on people. And I said, oh, Lord, please help me. And I, I, I said, Lord, please, you have to put a guard on my mouth because I can't stop swearing. And uh, praise God, you know, he, he, he did that. He took away my family. Occasionally, you know, bang my finger on with a hammer. I confess, you know, sometimes it slips out. And I have to repent. But uh, for the most part, God has, has delivered me from that. And so fasting breaks down strongholds. Uh, it it uh, delivers from addictions. Uh, they are all destroyed. Fasting essentially means that we are getting serious with God. And if that's your heart today, to get serious with God, to get close to the Lord, to really come into his presence, I believe that there's a place in God where, where a very few people come into the into the secret place, into the holy place. Um, it's open to us all, but very few are still usual. So how to fast? How to fast? How should we do this? This is where the church goes wrong. From, from my study of scriptures, uh, it seems to me that, that fasting, the most important thing about fasting, is about building a relationship with the Lord. It's about developing intimacy with our Heavenly Father. We're saying to God when we fast, Lord, my relationship with you is more important than my daily food. God, I want you to know that I'm serious about fasting. And so it's about communing with God. It's about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, we commune. Now, you need to sound a word of caution. I agree with Dr. Whitney when he says that fasting is not a mechanical way of getting our prayers answered. Uh, you know, it's, I, I'm not saying that if we fast, that that guarantees that you, you're going to get your prayers answered. Amen? I'm not saying that at all. That's a theology of works. Some people think all I have to do is fast, and then God is obligated to answer. No. Okay. They, they kind of think, well, God's going to be impressed with my sacrifice, with my self-denial, and, uh, you know, my suffering that, that I'm experiencing. You know what that is? 
That's legalism. That's self-righteousness. That's actually an abomination to the Lord when we have that kind of attitude. You see, fasting does not manipulate God. Can I have an amen? <laughs> My friends, God will bless us because he loves us, not because we're trying to earn his favor. How many of you know that we are blessed and highly favored as the children of the Lord? That's already our inheritance. We don't need to fast for these things. Fasting brings us closer to the Lord and makes us more in tune with Him. Fasting is God's idea. The most important thing about fasting is drawing close to the Lord. Let me say, fasting is not a hunger strike until God answers your prayers. You know, if you try that, you might not be around for too long. Okay? Fasting is not a diet. You know, I think, oh, I'm putting on a few pounds. I think I better go and fast. No. <laughs> Wrong motivation. But we need to be seeking the Lord. You know? Fasting is not about missing meals. Okay, It's not a weight loss program for the church. Okay, We need to understand that fasting is about putting God first. It's about seeking him. It's about walking in the spirit and not letting the flesh rule our Christian life. You want to draw close to God? Start to fast. Fasting is supposed to be a time when you and the Lord come together for fellowship, for communion. You're saying to God, I love you more than my daily food. Is there never a time when you walk with God that you want your prayers answered more than you want your lunch, more than you want your, your McDonald's? You know, you'd rather have them. That's the time to fast. When you, when you really want to draw close to God, you think, God, I, I need a breakthrough here. Spend some time fasting and uh, praying God. Now, it's important to note um, uh, that a lot of people rule themselves out from fasting for medical reasons. Uh, and certainly we would not want anyone to harm themselves in fasting. So before you, you start fasting, it's good to chat to your doctor uh, before you do any fasting. But there are so many different ways that we can fast to honor the Lord. Remember in the book of Daniel, uh, they, they, instead of eating the king's um, fare and the, the rich lavishness, they ate pulse and water. Pulses, if, if you look at other versions, it says vegetables and water. And that became known as a partial fast. You know, they're only eating vegetables and drinking water. That became known as a partial fast. Okay, If you need a balanced diet and you want to fast, well, uh, you know, you can always reduce the amount that you eat until there's just a little bit of hunger pains. And a lot of those hunger pains to serve you, to drive you to your knees, to seek the Father. That's the whole point behind it. So, you know, our flesh wants to excuse us from fasting. But where there is a will, there is a... Amen. So, did you know one meal can be a fast? You can fast from uh, sun up to sundown and only eat at night. That, that's considered a fast, just eating at night. Um, certainly, we don't want anybody to do, do any harm to themselves. But I want to say this to you, and I want you to listen carefully. Fasting is not so much about the food, it's about your relationship with the Lord. And Isaiah 58 is the most important detailed study of how to fast in the church. And uh, it, it's really important that we understand this whole idea. It's the most detailed study in the entire Bible. And in verse 6, 
uh, Isaiah 58, we read these words, this is God's chosen fast. This is how God wants us to fast. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, that they may break every yoke? Think about that. The following that I'm going to share with you comes out of this study in, in Isaiah 58. Um, but it begins with loosing the bonds of wickedness. When you want to come before the Lord, we need to actually examine our lives. You know, when, when, when Jeremiah was, um, um, uh, Nehemiah, or not Jeremiah, Nehemiah was about to rebuild Jerusalem. He came before the Lord and he repented. Personally, he really cried out before God. He repented. And he then went on further to repent of the sins of the nation. And, and many of the great men of God did the same thing. That was a pact. They, they personally repented. They, they repented corporately for the sins of the, the nation had committed. And they, they wanted to have that intimacy with the Lord. And so it's about removing wickedness from our life. So the first point about um, fasting that, that we need to get is, a, is about personal purity. Intimacy with the Lord involves personal purity. David said, search me, try me, know my heart, see if there is any wicked way in me. He was living under the Old Testament, but he was living a righteous life. You know, folks, we need to make sure that even under the New Testament that we don't abuse grace, that we that we repent from the things that we do wrong and receive the gift of righteousness and walk in that righteousness. Amen? Amen. So that's the first point. David said, try me. I know my thoughts, see if there be any wicked man. He removed wickedness from his life. The second thing that we are taught about the true fast is that we're to loose the bands of injustice. Well, how does that apply to me? I'm not in government. I'm not a, I'm not a judge. But look at it this way. Are you treating everybody fairly? Your wife, your children, your colleagues. Are you asking more of them than you're asking of yourself? Are you dealing justly with them? Oh, I know this, this message is going to come back and bite me. Oh, I know this is going to be Hallelujah. Anyway, are we asking more of others than we're asking ourselves? Are we dealing justly with them? Thirdly, it says, set the oppressed go free. I said, I don't know any oppressed. Well, help those who are carrying heavy burdens to lighten their load. Serve them. Minister to them. Reach out to those that are uh, heavy burdened and lighten their load. That's, that's setting the oppressed free. That's what you can do when you're fasting. It's about serving other people. Fourthly, it says, share your food with the hungry. Well, medically, you might need to eat everything, but find a hungry person and feed them as well. Can you say amen? amen. Yes. Lots, you just go under the bridges and you'll find them. You know, there's a place to you can do that. So that's the fourth thing that we're to do when we're fasting. So fifthly, it says provide the wanderer with shelter and the naked with clothes. Fasting is philanthropy. Fasting is philanthropy. It pays for somebody else's stay in a shelter. The shelters always have trouble, trouble raising enough money for people to say, pay for somebody to stay in the shelter, drop off your clothing in, in, in the clothing bin so that you can clothe the naked. The last thing that we'll look at this morning is the, the sixth thing. It says, minister to your family. So what do, how do we do that? We forgive them, we feed them, we love them, and we look after them. You see, fasting is so much more 
about a right relationship with God and with others than it is about denying our food. Amen? And so when we do this kind of fast, we're doing the Lord's fast, you know? Remember, fasting is about personal purity, justice, health, philanthropy, service, love, and forgiveness. Oh, and not eating. Christians are great at minoring, uh, majoring on minors. Like the Pharisees, we count out our limp leaves and neglect the weightier matters of the law. When we do God's chosen fast, it says in, in verses 8 and 9, when we fast like God wants us to fast, and then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your darkness will be dispersed, in other words, you'll be able to see clearly, and your healing will quickly appear, and your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your red. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and the pointing of the finger, and Moses to talk. You read on, you see that there are many more blessings, there are many more responsibilities. But can you see why I say that most of the church looks at fasting as simply going without food? And really, it's so, so much more. You know, yes, that, that is a part of it. But we need to embrace that the fasting as philanthropy and love and service and help, helping one another and uh, looking after our, our family and everyone else. And if we'll do that, we will come. God says, I will bring you into a place where the darkness will, will break forth like the dawn. He will bring you into a place of blessing and anointing. So, there's more to be said in Isaiah 58. Time won't permit us to, to, to look at it. I want you to just look at it. I'd like to assign you some homework this morning. Yeah. Guess what your homework is to practice this fast, this kind of fast. We can all do it because there is a way to fast if we do it God's way. I I got convicted during the week as I was preparing this. I thought, man, I, I, I can't uh, talk about this if I, if I haven't been practicing it. So basically, <laughs> uh, we entered into fast. Now, I will join you. I, we're not going to set a particular day to fast. And how you could choose to fast, whether it's a partial fast or a uh, fast from sun up to, to sundown. Or, I don't know, you look at Austria. I might have been judging. Praise God. But, but you know, I, I think it, you know, it's easy to, to listen to sermons and to walk out and forget it. And then kind of Sunday, kind of, what did that, what did Pastor speak about last Sunday? Can't remember. But uh, if if you would, would you, if you would take up the challenge this morning uh, to to fast, however long, I'll leave that up to you. How how you want to fast, I'll leave that up to you. But if you use Isaiah fifty eight uh, about lifting the burdens of the, those that are heavy burdened, heavy, and use that outline that I gave you, I believe that we'll see a, a, a move of God's spirit in our hearts and in, in our communities around about. Do you believe that? I believe it. This is Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you that you love us so much, Lord, and you've blessed us with exceptional blessings, Lord. We are indebted to you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. 
Lord, we do declare that we love you more than life itself. You are the very reason that we are alive today. Without you, Lord, we would have uh, Lord, not been here. And so, Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I pray, Father, that as we go forward this, this day, that you would bring this word to our remembrance. Uh, Lord, when we are about to make something for breakfast, or Lord, that you would remind us, Lord, that the most important thing is having Christ in our hearts, Christ close to us. Lord, drawing close to you and having fellowship and communion with the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, help us. Lord, not to do this out of uh, uh, obedience and legalism, but Lord, let our motivation because be, be out of love, because we love you and we want more of you. Lord, let that be the motivation as to uh, why we are fasting. So, Lord, bless each and every one of us. And I, I just, I would like to just pray for anybody who feels that they would like to try this fast. Uh, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Is there anybody who says, I'm, I'm going to accept this, I, I'm going to fast, whether it's a meal, a day, a week, I don't know, what, whatever the Lord lays on your heart, but you're going to step into the fast that God has spoken to you. Is there, if, if you raise your hand, I'd love to. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters. Uh, Lord, who raised their hands. Uh, Lord, who desire to pull close to you. May that be our, our motivation. May the love of God just flood them and minister to them and encourage them and bless them. So, Lord, we, we ask that you give them strength and fellowship. Uh, I pray that they would know your fellowship and your blessing in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, we've got a lot of folk away this week, but uh, we'll still be having the, the Bible studies uh, this Thursday. At Lois's house. Um, so uh, Thursday, 7:30. If you need details, uh, please speak, speak to Lois. Lois, if it's raising hand, anybody doesn't know, would love to uh, come and join the Bible study. Praise God. Okay. Hallelujah. Praise God. And if you'd like to come join us. Praise God. We'd like to stand. We're going to sing with Zani, the strong man. Be a, a good pre warfare attack. We're going to get him on the devil and surprise him this morning. Can't wait. Finding the strong man. Thank you. 